This is Gulf Coast Live from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. So far, more than 1,300 people in Florida have tested positive for monkeypox, with the majority of cases stemming from South Florida. The vast majority of infections are in men who have sex with men. As this global epidemic grows, vaccine supply remains limited. In July, the World Health Organization declared the global monkeypox outbreak a public health emergency of international concern. The White House has also declared a monkeypox public health emergency, and states including California, New York, and Illinois have declared states of emergency stemming from the outbreak as well. The latest data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention indicate Florida has the third highest number of confirmed monkeypox infections in the country. Despite this, Governor Ron DeSantis has signaled he has no intention of declaring a monkeypox state of emergency anytime soon. Joining me now for a closer look is Southwest Florida-based infectious disease specialist Dr. Douglas Brust. He's medical director with the nonprofit Can Community Health. He's devoted his entire career to helping people living with HIV and is currently also a clinical professor for the Florida State University Primary Care Residency Program here in Southwest Florida. He completed his PhD at Cornell and received an MD from Columbia University, where he's also served as a faculty member. Dr. Bruss completed an internal medicine training at Harvard before going on to the National Institutes of Health for fellowship training in infectious disease. Dr. Doug Bruss, welcome back to Gulf Coast Life. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me, John. I really appreciate it. And it's good to hear you on the radio. Well, thank you. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So, Dr. Brust, let, let's start with some basics. I, I think people could understandably reason that monkeypox might be closely related to chickenpox, you know, because of the animal names. But as I understand it, that's about where the similarities end, other than the fact that they're both viruses. Monkeypox is, is actually in the same family of viruses as smallpox, correct? That's exactly right. So monkeypox, I mean, the, the name is even a misnomer. Monkeypox was first described in the late 50s, actually in Copenhagen, and it was seen in monkeys that were in a research colony uh, that had come from Africa. And the first human case that we know of that was documented was in 1970. What happens is, is that monkeypox actually can infect monkeys and also humans, but it actually probably circulates in rodents. And there have been outbreaks limited outbreaks in the United States where there was uh, contact between African rodents and uh, rodents in the United States, particularly prairie dogs, and there were a couple transmissions to uh, humans. But it is a virus that's a pox virus, and most people would think it's like chicken pox, but it's not in the same family. Chicken pox is actually a herpes virus, and uh, Monkeypox is poxviridae. That's the family that it's in, and it's more closely related to smallpox. Uh, and because of that, and because we've sort of eliminated smallpox in the world, uh, which is quite a deadly disease, there were stockpiles of vaccine uh, that were available because there's sort of you can cross over between monkeypox and smallpox, we think, as far as vaccination is concerned. Okay. And the only previous monkeypox outbreak in the U.S., I understand, was uh, in 2003. And there were, I think, just under 50 confirmed or probable cases in six states. And that was linked to pet prairie dogs that had come into contact with the uh, aforementioned rodents. Um, I'm curious if we know much about what has triggered this current outbreak. 
Well, the, this current outbreak started in um, Europe. It was recognized first in Europe, and it was associated with a gay and bisexual man that had attended large uh, rave parties, dance parties, and it looked as if it was, you know, direct long-term contact at these really crowded parties, and also uh, sexual contact uh, between men who are having sex with men either gay guys or bisexual guys. And so that's where it was first noted. Now, there have been other cases that have been, I mean, monkeypox has been well-described and well-known in Africa. There, there are actually two forms of it. One is probably more pathogenic and has a higher mortality, morbidity uh, than the other. That's the, the Congo Basin strain. The West African strain is the strain that is causing our current outbreak and it's less pathogenic. So it really is not associated with high mortality in Africa. And to date, there have been no fatalities from monkeypox in the experience outside of Africa. So it really looked like it was spread within the gay community and therefore sort of stayed within the gay community because men who have sex with men have sex with other gay men. Yeah, um, I wanted to touch more on that because monkeypox is not technically classified as a sexually transmitted infection. Can you provide some clarity there um, uh, in terms of spread risk factors? I mean, is this close, prolonged skin-to-skin contact the issue, or is it really more about an exchange of, of, of bodily fluids, and, and perhaps which bodily fluids? Right, and that's... That's a great question, and it's still not that clear-cut. Um, initially, it looked like skin-to-skin contact, close contact, may have been the you know may have been one of the predominant ways that the the virus has spread. Now, it may be looking more and more like a you know a sexually transmittable or sexually transmitted disease because the locations that it's occurring is where people are having sex, you know, oral and anal. And it's actually coming up there. And you can find the virus in uh, semen, and you can actually, from that, that's nucleic acid. So that's a sort of very sensitive way to look for the virus. But that virus, at least you can isolate it, and you can, in the laboratory, you can infect cells. It's unclear right now whether it's in outside in human populations, whether or not having sex uh, will transmit it just through bodily fluids. We really think about sexually transmitted infections as being transmitted by bodily fluids. But many uh, uh, infections, like, for example, syphilis, can be transmitted by close skin-to-skin contact, but the major way that it's transmitted is through bodily fluids. Right. Um, you know, it seems almost impossible to look at monkeypox outside of the looming shadow of the AIDS epidemic. And, and I don't have to tell you, uh, you know, that many people needlessly died early on, due in large part to mistakes made by public health officials, politicians and the news media. Do you have concerns about public messaging when it comes to monkeypox? Are we giving people who aren't sexually active, gay or bisexual men, a, a false sense of security concerning risk? So, you know, it's a great, it's an excellent point. In fact, I gave a talk, Larry Kramer, who was a, a major advocate for HIV treatment and also getting it into the media and getting uh, politics involved uh, to be able to actually end the epidemic. 
he had written a piece for the New York Native in 1983, and I remember it because it was on my birthday, and a, it was, I think, 1,121 people I'm counting, uh, of people that had died of HIV, and at that time, no one was saying anything. Monkeypox is definitely different. It is absolutely not coronavirus. It does not spread as easily as coronavirus. Uh, so COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, epidemic we're seeing is nothing like monkeypox. It's also different than HIV. For, first of all, it doesn't, it doesn't have a long latency period. Uh, it, it causes an acute illness that people recover from. It's usually self-limited. And what I mean by that is that you don't even need to necessarily get a specific treatment for it, just conservative care uh, at home, you know, fluids and taking care of yourself. The stigma that's associated with, though, is exactly what we saw with HIV because it's been introduced into the gay and bisexual men population, and therefore it stays within that population, so it's associated with that. But at the moment, really, truly, the people that are at risk are not, remember, the virus doesn't know your sexual orientation. It's you have to be doing uh, behaviors that place you at risk to acquire the virus. Like any infectious disease, it's just out making its business. So if you're having, if you're a gay man and you're only having sex with your partner and you're not having sex with anyone else, you're not at risk for monkeypox. Uh, if you're a gay man of having sex with multiple other people, what we really recommend is sort of risk modification so that you, you know, reduce your risk of uh, getting monkeypox and be vaccinated. Gotcha. And we're going to get to vaccinations here in a minute, but I'm, uh, I'm curious about people who might be in demographic categories where there might not be at much risk at all for contracting the virus, but if they do get monkeypox, they are at higher risk for a more severe infection or maybe even death. And that includes, as I understand it, young children under eight years old, um, people with compromised immune systems and pregnant women or, or those who are breastfeeding. Right. And so, and so those sort of risk factors are based on, and also people with, you know, bad skin disease like eczema, uh, that's based on prior, it's based on prior outbreaks in Africa and not so much on this outbreak. We think that the, those same risk factors are going to hold up. One of the, the major uh, groups of people that are acquiring monkeypox are immunocompromised patients that have HIV. Now, the vast majority of those patients really are not immunocompromised because they're taking their HIV meds and they're doing absolutely fantastic. So I think my recollection is in a recent New England Journal paper, uh, Journal of Medicine paper, there was approximately 40% of the people that had HIV, but they all were really doing well. So they handled the virus really well without necessarily requiring a specific treatment. So this form of monkeypox as far as causing severe disease that would lead to fatality, uh, people are handling it well. Now, morbidity is very high. These lesions can be very painful, especially if you get them in mucous membranes. So uh, people that get them in their mouth or their GI tract are unable to swallow, extremely painful, or uh, rectally also, extremely painful uh, uh, lesions. And so that's an indication to have uh, to be treated. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Well, on that note, um, I've read that some cases um, only result in a few lesions, which could easily be mistaken for something else like like herpes or syphilis. And given that a lot of the other telltale symptoms like headache, fever, muscle aches are also so commonly associated with many different ailments, um, that just gives me a way to segue right into the importance of testing. Right. And especially since, you know, the, the classic presentation of monkeypox, which we're all learning about, is, you know, people come down after exposure, uh, there is an incubation period and, uh, you know, 10 days, uh, maybe a little less. And then people come, to, people come down with a illness. They have fever, they have headache, they have muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes. They could have respiratory symptoms. And then after that illness, they develop the pox virus. They develop these pustules that can be itchy, but mostly are painful. And they usually start like on your face and your hands and your legs, and they spread inward. During, and we don't know why this is, but during this outbreak, worldwide outbreak, we're not seeing the classic presentation necessarily. We're seeing localized uh, rash, the pox development, where people, you know, were having sex. Uh, and they don't necessarily have to have this prodrome of the fever. The fever may or may not come, and it may come after or during the, uh, the patients that have uh, uh, the pox outbreak, the uh, rash at that time. Um, so it's a very different. So how do you suspect? The first thing you have to, to do is take a great history. 95% of the diagnosis in medicine is in the history. So you find out whether the person has risk factors to acquire monkeypox. Some of these lesions are very subtle. And I have not personally seen a case, but I've examined, uh, or I've gone over many cases that we've seen in our practice in Florida and other people have seen. And sometimes it's very difficult to say what this is. There is a test, uh, it is commercially available through LabCorp and Quest, and it also uh, is available to the Department of Health. So we have a very good test, and we always have, for what are called orthopox viruses. And uh, so the test is good and uh, has probably a high sensitivity and specificity. Um, do you think official reports on monkeypox cases coming in from agencies like the CDC or state and local health departments may be significant undercounts? Because I'm, I'm just wondering if the medical community, by and large, is perhaps on point as this as someone in your line of work when it comes to recognizing the need for testing? Right. So it's so under rec not being recognized. Yeah. So the answer is yes. And that always happens. Uh, I think with new, with, with new diseases that they're not being recognized. So the official count, uh, I, you know, I don't want to say the tip of the iceberg by any stretch of imagination, because I don't think monkeypox is as widespread once again, I know people will be comparing it, and it's hard not to compare it to SARS-CoV-2, our COVID-19 outbreak, or HIV, but it doesn't seem as if it's widespread. Now, we want to contain it. We don't want this to become an endemic. That means a virus that actually uh, uh, stays within the community and becomes one of the viruses like coronavirus that we see on a routine basis. Hopefully, like, for example, in the 2003 outbreak, it did not. It, you know, the outbreak ended, and then there were no more cases. You know, the number of cases that we have right now, 
really there was a high upswing before things were being recognized. And, and I know you, you sort of were hinting about that early on, about what happened in the early days of HIV, that the same thing was happening again. Mm-hmm. And we're just hoping that, you know, we're able to contain the virus through vaccination and education. All right. Well, on the subject of vaccination, um, the U.S. uses two types of smallpox vaccine to combat monkeypox, as I understand. Past data suggests these vaccines could be as high as 85 percent effective in preventing infection. Um, But the CDC, to my knowledge, hasn't provided any available data about the effectiveness of either vaccine against this current outbreak. What can you tell me just maybe about the vaccine in general and about vaccine availability? So as you as you mentioned, there are two uh, vaccines that are available that we can use for monkeypox, an ATAM 2000 and Genius. They're both live vaccines, but they're based on, uh, Genius is based on the defective virus, a vaccinia virus that does not replicate. ATAM 2000 is vaccinia virus, which is the virus we use to immunize people against smallpox, and that's a live virus. So that really, at this point, is it has many, many side effects. This is very similar to the, vir- uh, to the vaccine that if you were born probably about before 1970 in the United States, uh, you were given an inoculation uh, that caused a small uh, vaccine infection in your arm. So you have a, a scar usually on the side of your arm that was your smallpox vaccine. And you got that as a child if you were born before 1970 in the United States. That was a live replicating virus, and you can have, you know, spread of that virus uh, within a person that has that can cause really serious disease. So there could be a number of problems that you have: cardio, uh, uh, endocarditis, excuse me, uh, myocarditis that you can get from that vaccine. In fact, one in I think 200 people will get myocarditis after that vaccine. Genios is based on a similar virus, the vaccinia virus, but it's non-replicating, so it's much safer. Uh, There are plenty of stores of uh, Genios vaccine, and we now uh, know that we're actually able to give it in a different delivery system, the way we inoculate people that we can actually extend those vaccines that are available by about four or five fold uh, so that each bio we can give to five people rather than to one person. So there is vaccine availability. It's just the distribution, which is going through the Department of Health, has been a little bit problematic, but really has improved dramatically in the past couple of weeks. Is that something that you have had challenges getting enough of in your own practice? Well, the answer is the answer is yes, because the way things were going initially is there were limitations on who was going to be vaccinated because there were limited supplies of vaccine. So now that uh, um, we're able to administer the vaccine a different way, we have more vaccine availability. So the indication really is if you know you're at risk, if men who have sex with men or bisexual uh, bisexual men are at risk, are having sexually active, can get the vaccine uh, through the health department or through some, like at CAN over here in Cape Coral, we will be getting vaccine for our patients in the next day or two. And it's coming through the Department of Health so that we'll be able to uh, vaccinate patients 
prophylactically, so pre-exposure, like a vaccine that you think of. But the other way you can give this vaccine is if you're exposed to monkeypox, and if you give it within four days, based on very little data as far as I know, but the recommendation is to give it within four days, you may abort the infection so that you don't become uh, uh, infected and don't develop monkeypox, and that's uh, post-exposure uh, prophylaxis with the vaccine. All right. Yeah, no, good to note that even after an on- onset of symptoms has occurred, there can still be some efficacy with the vaccine. No, well, no, 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 no. Not onset of symptoms. I want to correct you there. Okay. You have to be completely asymptomatic. It's you were exposed. And oh, exposure. And prevent okay. the symptoms. So it's, so it's post-exposure prophylaxis uh, that you were exposed. And that once monkeypox uh, uh, develops, there's no reason to get the vaccine anymore. It does, as far as we know, it does nothing. Thank you for that correction. Uh, if you're just joining the show, we're taking a closer look at the global monkeypox epidemic with Southwest Florida-based infectious disease specialist Dr. Doug Brust with Can Community Health. If you would like to connect uh, or comment on our conversation, rather, or engage with fellow listeners, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And again, we're on Twitter at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. I, I was just reading this morning about a, a dog in Paris that caught monkeypox from one of its <laughs> owners, both of whom were infected with the virus at the time. What can you tell me about the, the zoological nature of this virus and, and what people dealing with an infection should know? So, the, so the, the actual, as far as I know, and by no stretch of the imagination are any of us monkeypox act experts. You know, we have to educate ourselves like the, the public has to educate ourselves. But as far as we know, the, the host, the natural host for the virus is uh, a, a, a couple types of rodents probably in Africa, but it really hasn't been that well defined. And so we know that it can affect animals and they can, those animals in turn can infect humans. So the CDC has recognized this. And even before this uh, uh, dog in uh, France was announced this morning that it, it you know, contracted monkeypox uh, from its owners. The CDC had recommended that if you do have monkeypox and you are isolating, then not only should you isolate yourself from, you know, other family members or people in the house, but also from your pets, because there was a concern that, you know, you could transmit the virus with close contact to your pet. Apparently, and this is just through, you know, the media that I've learned this and the the case report that was published online, uh, the dog used to sleep with these two guys in the same bed, and so I had very close contact with them, and the dog developed monkeypox. But as far as I know, the dog, you know, it was just a rash, and the dog, the outcome was the dog did well. Now, whether or not the dog can actually infect other dogs, or the dog can infect other people, is not really known. People don't think so, but as far as I know, it's not known. But I, I wouldn't quote on that myself on that uh, because I'm not that much of an expert. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, several states have declared states of emergency stemming from this epidemic, including you know Illinois, which actually has fewer confirmed cases than Florida. Governor DeSantis uh, here in the Sunshine State uh, has indicated. Florida won't be following suit anytime soon. What do these state of emergency declarations mean in terms of response and and getting you know the, the needed supplies to provide education or vaccination or testing? 
the national state of emergencies, I know, because you're able to use drugs like the, that drugs and you can get an emergency use authorization for using drugs. Like the drug that's used to treat monkeypox is not FDA approved. Uh, so you have to get it through authorization uh, through the CDC. Uh, as far as the local state, it really opens up funding. Uh, and my administrators would probably be able to better tell you exactly why it, it's helpful. But it is helpful uh, because, you know, money definitely talks. So the ability to obtain funds and, I guess, supplies and vaccines and, and everything, you know, doctor's time even, uh, is helped by declaring a state of emergency. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and I wanted to touch back on on something we have mentioned um, regarding concern that this strain of monkeypox could just become endemic in the U.S. or that the virus could mutate and become a greater threat to people. Any insights on, on either of those concerns? So, so one of the things about becoming endemic is something that we haven't yet seen. And what you would be concerned about is that it's able to transmit more readily uh, from, uh, you know, a person to person. So, for example, if – and then also the other thing is the asymptomatic spread, which we know occurs in, in uh, you know, things like coronavirus, like COVID-19, uh, we don't think occurs in patients that have monkeypox, that they have to have clinical symptoms and have rash. However, they may be shedding virus before they develop clinical symptoms, and many may have very minor, as you pointed out early in the interview, minor pox virus lesions that, you know, you would say that they weren't even sick. They may not even notice. So what you're worried about in disease that becomes endemic is the way it spreads. So, for example, so we know that there's been some spread from people in the household to children that have had monkeypox. So the child then gets monkeypox. And if the child is not that ill and goes then to daycare and the virus, for whatever reason, spreads more rapidly to all the kids in daycare, then those kids take it back to their family. So it really is a different way of transmission. It has to be easier to transmit to become endemic, truly endemic. But ST, you know, sexually transmitted infections are endemic. And they're not necessarily easy to transmit, but they're through sex. So, you know, time will tell, but I think with monkeypox, we will be able to eradicate this current outbreak. And I think the, the key is going to be, once again, modification of our behaviors and vaccination. All right. Yeah. I also saw this morning there was a an event in, in in Louisiana in the New Orleans area that uh, has typically drawn you know thousands of LGBTQ people, and they've just taken the proactive step of canceling it this year. Um, so, so these are the kinds of things we might be seeing more of. Right. I mean, that, that's you know, I mean, that's a, again very unfortunate that that has to happen, but I think it's prudent. Yeah. Well, that is about all the time we have for today's show, but I want to thank my guest. I've been speaking with Southwest Florida-based infectious disease specialist, Dr. Doug Brust. He's the medical director of the nonprofit Can Community Health. Thanks again so much for the work you do and for taking the time to share your insights with us. Thank you, John. Thanks to all the listeners.
And if you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.